Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. You're here today with Kara Williard, and you can check out everything else we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So for today's episode, I got to chat with one of the owners of Powderhound, Eric Helmbricht, and this is our Blister Recommended shop up in Girdwood, Alaska. Not only is this one of my personal favorite shops to visit, it's also really impressive to see the success of this shop as well as the loyalty of people in this area to the shop. In perfect timing, this episode is rolling out just one day after Powderhound celebrates their 10-year anniversary. So I got to chat with Eric through some of the trends and changes and overall reflections that he's had over the past decade. Eric provided some interesting insight on what has changed and some of the current trends that he is excited about, as well as some of the trends that he is glad are starting to fade away. Plus, we talk about things such as snowboarding and AT gear and a bunch of other really interesting gear topics. So a very happy 10 years to Powderhound. For those who haven't checked out our Blister Recommended Shop program, I definitely recommend that you head over to our site and check it out, especially if you are in the market for new gear this upcoming season. Also, this is just one of several episodes we have hosted with Eric. So if you want to hear him talk more about gear and skiing in Alaska, then the previous episodes are linked in our show notes. And before we get going, I just want to spread some excitement about the upcoming 2023 Blister Summit. We have already seen quite a bit of snowfall here in Crested Butte, and the mountain is opening up in just a couple of weeks. All that said, it's definitely a really good time to sign up for the Blister Summit, which is hosted February 12th through the 16th right here at Mount Crested Butte. Our Blister members receive discounted registration, plus everyone who signs up can receive discounted hotel rates. It's also well worth mentioning that Epic Pass prices and lift tickets are set to increase very shortly here on November 20th, so it's really smart to purchase them now. Currently, it's only $71 a day for lift tickets if you purchase the four-day pass. We would really love to see you at our upcoming Blister Summit. It's going to be a great time. Tons of brands have signed up and we have more joining every single day. So head over to our website to register today or check out the link in our show notes that will point you in the direction of registration. All right. And with that, let's get right into my conversation with Eric, where we look back at the 10 years of Powderhound up in Girdwood, Alaska. All right. Well, good morning, Eric. It's great to have you here on Gear 30 again. Thanks so much for joining us. I know it's an early morning for you, so we appreciate you taking the time. How's your morning going? Morning's good. Morning's good. Got a little bit of snow yesterday and looking forward to more later this week. Awesome. Yeah. So you are in the turn of seasons up there. You just mentioned you had a rainy summer, but uh, I guess it's starting to look a little bit more like winter around Girdwood, Alaska, huh? Yes. Yeah. It's been a really nice fall. Awesome. And I know I caught up with you a bit this summer when I was in Girdwood visiting my friend Brooke, and it was great to stop in the shop and say hey to you guys. And I feel like you've had a couple recent developments since then. So um, yeah, thanks for taking the time. I'm sure life's a little bit busy on your end right now. How are how are things going at the shop? Shop's been good. It's been cranking this fall. We started with a, a race event like we always do. It was a little earlier this year. It was their third week of September. And uh, and pretty much since then, we've been nonstop. So no complaints there. Yeah, that's awesome. And when does Alyeska open up for you guys? They're advertising December 9th. So okay. everyone's looking forward to it and getting ready. All right. Awesome. Yeah, that's coming right up. 
So I know you mentioned, and I'm really excited for the timeliness of this episode, um, given that you are about to have your 10-year anniversary at Powderhound. So that's a pretty big deal. Um, I think that's awesome. So congrats to you guys. I mean, 10 years is definitely quite a bit of time, especially in the ski industry when things are always changing pretty quickly. Yeah, thanks. It's hard to imagine <laughs> that it's already been 10 years. Yeah, that's awesome. So a whole decade. And so I thought that was just such a great launching point for this episode. So we're just going to kind of talk through what the last 10 years have looked like as far as different trends and different things that you guys have kind of adapted to, things that you've learned in those 10 years and things like that. So I'm I'm stoked for you guys. I think uh, a 10-year anniversary episode is kind of perfect. So over those 10 years of business, what would you say has changed the most? I would say, you know, being at the base of a, a lift area that, you know, the first few years we were, you know, we watched AT gear kind of grow a little bit. And now it's rare to, I mean, I shouldn't say it's rare, but it's not too common to have someone come in and say, Hey, I just want a resort boot. And so when everyone is looking at possibly something that can go uphill and downhill, that's kind of what has changed the most as far as gear goes. So now that that trend is like when someone comes in, the the questions we ask them as a boot fitter have changed a little bit. So um, I'd say that's kind of the biggest thing. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I actually think we touched on that a bit in our buyer's guide episode that we are kind of looking at like, well, how has like the sort of 50-50 or one ski boot quiver changed or evolved? Because I think when people were first like launching into AT gear and there was frame bindings and maybe you had like a boot with a sort of, you know, not so ideal walk mode on it, it was kind of easy to like make that first step into touring. But now, of course, gear's kind of gotten more specialized. And so you're able to kind of, if you want to, and you have the ability to, you can kind of cater to the resort experience as much as you want or the uphill experience as much as you want. Um, so overall, would you say like you've seen quite a bit of like the 50-50 boot trend dropping off? Or do you think it's just that a lot of people do want a little bit more specialized gear if they're doing quite a bit of both? No, I think, I mean... I think everyone's asking for something that has the option to go uphill, mm -hmm. but still wants that really good downhill performance because they're probably going to be skiing, you know, 80, 90% of the time at the resort. And so, you know, everyone's heard of the shift and uh, the Duke PT and different bindings that can work with them. So at this point, it's like, all right, it's a couple hundred more bucks, but you get the option to, to go uphill. Say you have some buddies that get into it and want to do it. So. That is, you know, it is still something we, you know, we talk about the, you know, the downsides as well. I'm not selling people lightweight gear to go ski Alyeska because we have heavy yeah. snow and it gets chopped up and it's really not going to last too long doing that. But um, so that is a conversation we always have. Um, thankfully, some of the boots that are what we call 50-50 boots are, you know, pretty dang good at skiing the resort these days. Totally. Yeah, it's awesome to see um, that you can have a little bit of both and just have the setup that kind of caters to both. And obviously, I'd say like we're in a lot better place now that we get to ski things like the Duke PT versus like those original, you know, uh, frame bindings that the downsides are narrowing a bit, it would seem. Yes. <laughs> so that's a relief. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I finally last year got on to I'm on my third pair of Hawks boots from Atomic. And uh, this last pair I got is the XTD because I find myself on the magic carpet more these days and uh, definitely no need for a super light 
touring boot in my garage when I don't get out as much as I used to. Uh, since on my days off, I am skiing with a little one a lot more. So um, now I have the option to go touring and I've been really impressed at how the XTD boot skis in bounds. It's, it's been good. And we'll see how long the longevity of it is. Yeah, totally. I feel like that boot is one that it's like incredible as far as what you get from the walk mode. It's obviously pretty lightweight. Um, yeah, the walkability of it is pretty good. And then you can also, from what I heard, I, I haven't skied that boot a ton, but it seems like it has pretty great downhill performance. And so there's not a ton of compromise there. I know some people have a little bit of issues just with like how thin the liner is, but of course there's other things you can do there as far as longevity. Um, if you want to upgrade the liner. I keep the liner that came with it as a touring liner and then I ski an intuition in it. Perfect. Yep. That seems like a good solution. So I think we've been talking a lot about boot fitting and boot trends. Um, So I'm just curious to hear you kind of break into the world of boots and kind of the biggest things you've seen change or evolve over the last 10 years from the perspective of a boot fitter. Well, the story of changing, uh, changing souls, I guess, would be the easiest way to say it. You've got, you know, your different norms of boot compatibility with bindings. So you've you know, it, at first it was just, you get DIN or Alpine, and then there was, you know, pretty much backcountry. That was, that was essentially, it. and then 9523 came along and it was like, cool, we can ski some bindings with these. And then you have grip walk come along and that confuses everyone. And then now there's a new grip walk. And, uh, and so it's as a boot fitter and a ski tech and trying to explain it to customers and as well as understand some of it, it is, uh, it's confusing, um, but it, it's pretty easy to make sense of. And I, it seems like the grip walk is kind of where everything is finally going, which makes me happy because it's easy to walk in. Heard some people say that it doesn't ski quite as well, but I've never noticed. And uh, I think it's going to save some people from falling on ice quite a bit. And uh, and if it fits with all the bindings, makes it even better. Yeah. Totally. And I'd say I'm a big proponent of grip walk. And I'd say it's also better than a few years ago when we had like those brief moments of like, oh, there's walk to ride on these boots and then, you know, grip walk on these mm-hmm. boots and things got really messy for a while. So as a as a whole, I'd say the industry is kind of unified behind grip walk. And it seems like hopefully it's smoothing out a bit. Yes, seems <laughs> to be. Seems to be. Anything else as far as ski boots? I mean, I, as far as like even just like from a fitting perspective. Well, yeah, custom shells. I mean, I remember when I was fitting boots down in Vail, the, the Solomon custom shell came out and it was just mind blowing. Even though it barely, you know, barely held shape and it, you know, it did make it a little easier to work on the six toe area. But, um, you know, it was kind of like, oh, I don't know. Is this working? Is it not working? And um, regardless, the boots fit well back then. And so a little bit of customization was nice. But now you've got between, you know, Solomon Atomic, um, Del Bellos are even, some Del Bellos are custom shell now. It's, uh, it sure makes boot fitting a lot easier. You can, you can kind of guarantee to the customer that, oh, that spot, don't even worry about that spot. You know, if you like the rest of the boot, that, that's going to go away when we cook it. Um, and we don't have to spend, you know, hours of the day heating up boots with a heat gun. Um, when you do it right the first time, they're just out the door happy. So that helps. Yeah, big time. I know. I feel like over the 12 years I've been a boot fitter, the job got much easier. So it's kind of nice to have that. Yes. 
Indeed. And we've been playing with different ways to get the the canting. You know, people, some people have severe, you know, more bow-legged or, or knock-kneed and um, like the Hawks and, uh, well, say Solomon Atomic, for example, advertise one degree of, of uh, adjust or, you know, it'll mold up to one degree in, in canting. Uh, what I've done recently is been playing around with different degrees that you put under their boot when they're molding it because say on the XTD, you can't put cant plates on it. So how are we going to make this, you know, cant this gear a little bit more appropriately? And, uh, and so you can put different degrees underneath the sole when they're molding and it actually has been seeming to work pretty well. So it's fun to play around with. And if oh, it yeah. doesn't work, you put it back in the oven. Totally. No, that's awesome. That's a that's a new technique and one I haven't thought about, but especially in boots where you don't have the ability to, you know, use cantology shims or maybe uh yeah, you feel like you're maxed out the like the original intention of your cuff alignment, but maybe you can take it a little bit further and often you're only talking a couple of degrees anyway, so that's exactly. pretty cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Boot fitting maybe has gotten a little bit easier. Custom moldable shells, obviously. Shells in general, probably just a lot more anatomical, just making it a little bit easier to fit out of the box. It doesn't feel like quite a leap sometimes for certain feet. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, and then as far as like, what would you say the trend as far as overall weight goes? Like, how have you kind of tracked that trend? Whether it's boots and skis or, you know, I feel like there's kind of been some major swings as far as things going lighter and then maybe mellowing out how do you kind of trace the trend of weight everything is lighter everything is lighter it's crazy um you've skied the new bent 110 mm-hmm. yeah super light ski i had a blast on it last year but you have to consider the weight of it so when you're selling it to folks if, if they're uh, really excited to get on it but they're 220 pounds you got to think okay maybe maybe this would be a great option to tour on for you but mm-hmm. maybe don't hammer the resort on it every day yeah. and that's not a knock on the ski it's a great ski but um you know it is a very light ski and we've also started seeing with skis getting lighter uh bindings like the pivot not working out that well mm-hmm. um it starts to pull out of some of these lighter cores when people are skiing hard on them so and it's more more so the wider skis because it's got such a tight hole pattern in the heel so you just have to consider all these different aspects of it where it's like, okay, cool. A lot of the skis on the wall are pretty dang light, even the, like the Rustler series, you know, which we've done really well with over the years. Yeah. It is a lighter weight ski for heavy people. So, um, you know, most people that tend to rip on it are usually a little bit lighter, so it doesn't matter, but different things to consider and in, in the way that skis flex. I mean, I remember the year we opened, it was every powder ski had metal in it and some of them were extremely stiff. To the point where it was like, all right, this is pretty unapproachable. And now almost every ski is very approachable. There are a few still on the market that are, you know, for the heavy hitters only. But yeah, you know, yeah, which is cool because it opens up the wall to selling to a lot more people. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And that's actually something we talked about as far as when we were going over our buyer's guide as well as kind of seeing these like what we were calling like wider sweet spots. So even if you are a super hard charging skier, you can, you know, get along with the ski and not feel like it's like compromising your ability to do everything you want to. But at the same time, maybe it's a little bit more intuitive or it's just a little bit easier ski to hop on for a wider range of people. And and that does make it nice. I mean, if a bunch of different people can get along with a certain ski, that's that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so then thinking how we've kind of seen weight shift a whole bunch and you're right there at the base of Alieska and you guys have some pretty heavy hitter 
you know, skiers, pretty hard charging skiers, some really epic terrain. I'm sure you kind of see the full range as far as like what people are doing. Like if they're breaking skis in half or <laughs> whatever is happening out there, they're coming yes. to you and they're like, this just happened. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Any, any ski that has the word L I T E in the title. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not good to rip on Alyeska with it too hard. Yeah. That seems fair. Zooming out a bit to like a more macro level, how would you say like the industry as a whole has kind of changed and evolved in the 10, 10 years, whether that's like, you know, buyers trends or yeah, just consumer trends, maybe, you know, ski uh, company trends, like just kind of looking like full picture here. What have you kind of seen change over the course of the last 10 years? Well, it's so hard because in the last two years, three years, everything changed so dramatically. Uh, you know, the pandemic was like, you know, what the heck are we going to do? There's like limited lift service. We've got, um, you know, you're, you're only supposed to have a certain amount of people in your store for a little bit of time. And, um, and then it was like, oh, well, everybody wants to buy ski gear. And it's like, cool, this is great. Everybody wants to rent skis that isn't buying ski gear. And, um, you know, for, for that year, it was, absolutely crazy and it, it did change things the way that we're going to do business forever um you know we had we had shoulder to shoulder in the store at points when it was like you know it was kind of not really recommended but someone had to help these folks out and otherwise they weren't going to go skiing and you know we we made special uh time for folks that weren't comfortable being around other people where we'd come in early or stay late um thankfully that little part of it is over um not that we don't make exceptions for folks anymore, but um, it's not so much. And uh, what really what really changed is that we have appointments now. And, and so a lot of people, most people are catching on to it. Some people don't know, and we still try and make time for them when they walk in, obviously, because uh, it's a ski shop, not a doctor's office. But, um, but we have boot fitting appointments. We have season lease appointments. Um, we even have appointments for getting a mount done on the spot. Uh, so all that stuff has changed the way that we run our days. Now we have a calendar, you know, a schedule at the beginning of every day. It's like, okay, we are set up for the entire day in boot fits. We have one column that's got a couple openings. So we got walk-in times and um, what it really does, it makes things smooth in the store uh, a lot smoother than just like a restaurant. Everybody comes in right at the same time. And so it's nice to kind of even things out a little bit. Then you have more time with each customer. So you're not trying to rush or there were times before where I'd be boofing two or three people at the same time. And, you know, you can only give such good service when you're doing that. So getting that time with a customer is, is really nice to have. So that that's changed. And I know that wasn't the last 10 years, that's the last couple of years, but I don't think that's going away anytime soon. And a lot of the shop owners that I know are, uh, are all doing the same thing. So um, for better or worse, I think, I think it's better for us at least and better for the customer when, uh, when they know they're getting that hour, hour and a half to themselves with the boot fitter. Yeah, I think uh, that's interesting. And definitely something I've seen out of quite a few of the shops, like even that I was boot fitting at. It's like, why why haven't we done this sooner? Because now, you know, at four o'clock, you don't have like 20 people pouring in the door. Mm -hmm. um, but you can actually spread the spread the flow of traffic out a bit. And like you said, it actually results in better customer service because you're able to kind of manage the ebbs and flows a little bit better. Exactly. If if they need a little punch on their boot while we're fitting it, we don't have to, oh, sorry, you got to come back for that. It's like, hey, let's just get this knocked out right now. Sometimes it even allows for us to, hey, they're buying a ski boot binding. 
well, shoot, while you're molding, let's get it mounted up for you and, and get you out the door skiing on it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's fun. We've always tried to do it, but when it's, you know, rush based, you can't really, can't really juggle everything at once. Um, I have noticed also more brands are starting to sell direct to consumer. That's another big thing in the industry and it's kind of a hot topic yeah. right now. And, um, I, I think this might be okay for the brands, but I don't think it's overall, you know, this is me selfishly saying this obviously, because I want them to buy from small businesses, but, um, I don't think it's going to be beneficial for the customer to do that, even though it's easier for them to scroll on their phone and press enter on the checkout button. I, uh, I know that it's going to end up costing them more down the road because if this happens frequently, then, you know, the, the cost of getting it mounted or serviced is going to cost more if you don't buy it from a store. And, and that's not something we're doing right now. I mean, we have the same price. I mean, no, it, it is something we've always done, right? It's free mm-hmm. if you get the ski set up through us exactly. to get it mounted. But it costs money to get it mounted if you bring it in from somewhere else. Well, that, you know, if you see, if shops see that happening more, it's going to end up costing a lot more money because we can't all just be service shops, you know, you don't yep. want to, you got to have a ski shop, right? So, so yeah, that, uh, that is something. And I think it will, it's like a roller coaster. It'll ebb and flow, you know, some companies will try it and realize it's not working as well or, you know, who knows. But, um, but that's something that we've seen more and more every year. It seems to be a topic among ski shops. Yeah, that seems, I mean, I feel like that's one we've traced for several years now, especially like my experience in shops. Like you start to see more people bringing in stuff that they've purchased online. And of course, you're just trying to like walk that, find the balance as far as like, well, look, if you purchase here, here's all the value that we provide. Like, let's really Mm -hmm. like highlight this value. But then of course, you know, there's so much as far as like people's, uh, sort of dependent dependency on like convenience these days or just like having that internet shopping experience it's kind of like what people are used to so yeah i think that's i think that's a really important topic especially in the in the realm of local ski shops and how we can kind of find a way to still really support the shops even if people want like a modern shopping experience i'm not exactly sure but um i think that's one that we can definitely advocate for as far as like well what what is the the threshold for direct to consumer and how can we kind of like make sure that we're we're still supporting the local shops totally i think people just assume it's cheaper when they buy it off a website mm-hmm. and they don't realize that it's actually you know you gotta pay sh- it's probably the same price as on the wall if it's the same year model and you gotta yeah. pay shipping and all that stuff so um really it's just educating you know totally that's all it is always has been yeah, consumer education. Then it's like, oh, you walk, you walk that uh, internet purchase line, and you're like, oh, I ended up with the wrong binding. It's not the right brake size, and now I'm paying full price for the mount. And you know, mm-hmm. it all just starts adding up. So of course, that's where it's like, well, I maybe should have just gone and talked to the guys down at Powderhound. They probably could have helped me out. Yeah, that's all right. It usually only takes once, and then you know they realize. Yeah, it's kind of like going to the big box stores. You know, it's great. We love REI because it gets a lot of people into the store or into the sport, I should Mm -hmm. say. And then once they kind of get into it a little bit more, it's like, oh, okay, there's, there's a place we go to get a little bit more, you know, customer friendly service where they're doing a little more hands-on work. And so those people would never have gotten the sport if they had to go to a, you know, a small shop to begin with probably. Yeah. I think it's a whole ecosystem of some of this stuff working together and trying to keep people uh, in the sport, but then of course, get more people involved in the sport as well. Um, so I'm kind of curious to hear you talk about some of the trends you may have seen during COVID. Do you think 
did you see like an uptick in your area in the ski industry as far as like newcomers to the sport? Or do you feel like it was kind of just like the same old people, but it was a little bit harder to manage the flow of traffic? Or how did you kind of see like the consumer base change a little bit during COVID? You know, the the sad part about it was we had these like, it's not, it's not sad. There, it was, it was just a change, right? So we had these people that regulars we'd see every weekend. Love seeing them. You get to know all these families. It's great. Alaska uh, is a very family friendly mountain, so you see these same faces all the time. And uh, and just you know, you get up looking forward to going to work. And and during COVID, it was so busy. We we grew fifty percent uh, that one year, that one winter, which was nuts. And uh, and so obviously a lot more faces in the store. Well, the regulars come by and they're like, well, I'm not going in there. There's not even a parking spot to park, you know? And yeah, so, tough. yeah. So the good thing is we got to make a lot more friends through the shop and a lot of new customers. Um, but there was that one year hiatus. Uh, it was funny because the next year you start seeing those families again. But during that winter, they were like, I'm going to stay out of there. I got my gear there last year and these guys are swamped, you know, but, um, but it all comes around and now, now it's even balanced and great. That's awesome. And do you think, I mean, what do you attribute some of that uh, height into traffic to? Do you think people just wanted to get outside or they just were like sticking around? There was no travel, right? Uh So everyone that maybe went skiing somewhere else and would have gone and walked into a store in Aspen or Vail or wherever they went skiing, right? They were all coming into our store because they were skiing at Alieska, even though they might not have liked skiing in Alaska because maybe they prefer some wider more mellow terrain that we don't offer, uh, they, you know, they were not going to not ski that season. Right. And so a lot of it was people weren't leaving to ski. And then we also, um, just people wanted to get outside. Everything blew up that year, you know? Totally. Yeah. And I'm sure you saw it on the bike side as well. Yes. That was a little different because we couldn't get bikes, but we ended up getting a lot of bikes, but it was like, they were sold months before they were even on the you know, in the store. Yeah. That was kind of, kind of wild to see those supply chain, uh, issues. And I'm sure you dealt with it firsthand for many months, probably on both the bike and the ski side. Yes, I am. We deal with transition bikes and they are uh, a great company. And for a while it's like, there's no, like, there's no bikes to order. And now finally it's like, Oh, Hey, you can go on and we can get bikes when we want for customers. You know, it's not, uh, not so crazy. So there'll be a lot, less uh homework on our side of things with line items and customers and we got to follow up and call them and update them and all this stuff it definitely it was a lot of work on the back end yeah i guess if you could just speak to i mean it seems like covid would be kind of the pinnacle as far as like how you as a local business owner have to be adaptable um so maybe like what did it look like to have some of these like quick decision making you know like how did you how did you encourage adaptability in some of the decision-making you were making during that time. Um, as far as a business owner, do you think it was like intuitive or was it just like really challenging or how did that kind of feel? Thankfully in Alaska, people were a lot more relaxed about it and it wasn't Mm -hmm. where people weren't going chaotic. They weren't going crazy over it. Right. Some, some people more than others, but, um, so it wasn't necessarily like I heard of stores down in the States where they'd have like a bouncer pretty much at the door and they'd say, all right, you know, like next person in one person out. And, um, we never kind of went through that thankfully. And, um, and so it was just, 
yeah, I don't know. It was relaxed. I wasn't too stressed about it. It was definitely the, uh, the only stressor was like, how do we help this many more customers with the same quality of service? That was really, and it still is, but it's, you know, as we've grown over the last 10 years, that first couple of years, it was like, I want to have the best service possible. And, uh, and, you know, we strive really hard to do so. And, and then when you grow, it's super hard to keep that same one-on-one customer service with all the things, whether I'm dropping off skis in Anchorage for them on Christmas Eve, because I'm going in anyways, or whatever, like all these different customer service things that we really pride ourselves on. It's really hard when you, you know, triple, quadruple the amount of people you're trying to help. So uh, that's been, I think the biggest, the biggest stressor for us, but it's not, it's a good stressor because we're still getting good business. Yeah, that's huge. And as far as like that increased volume, I mean, did you kind of have to pivot like how many people you were hiring or was it just harder to like meet the demand via the employees you had? I mean, was some of that pretty challenging? You know, uh, yeah, the employee situation that's been rough because we had just such a good crew um, dialed and we still do. It's just smaller now. Uh, but it, it's been like, okay, well, you work in a ski shop. Great. This is supposed to be fun, relaxing. We're going to sell skis and boots. And then you just get inundated with all these people demanding that they want to get outside right now. And it's like, okay, this is a little more stressful than the, the job that I signed up for. Right. So we had, uh, we had, a, you know, a rough winter of like, <laughs> A good crew being like, nah, this is kind of, you know, and then everyone gets on Instagram and sees everyone else's best day. And so they're all like, hey, what am I working for when I could be in a van traveling the world or whatever they want to do? And so um, that's kind of been the, yeah, the stressor of it, that as well as housing, obviously, it's not like there's more affordable housing than there used to be. So trying to find employees that want to work and live in Girdwood that, and can live in Girdwood, that's been been a tough one. So lots of a bit longer days for me. I can imagine. And I, I mean, I've heard that from other local shops in mountain towns as far as like how the housing situation is affecting the employment situation. And some of these are pretty, you know, complex issues. Um, and then, of course, there is just like that sort of romanticizing of like what working in a ski shop is going to look like, or you just think you're going to be, you know, the ski bum who's, you know, skiing pow every day, but really it can be like some of the longest days of your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I can definitely relate to that. I've had many of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we try hard to, uh, to get our staff skiing, you know, and some of them, we give them kind of the choice if they want to work four tens and have three days off in a row, or do they want to work five, eight hour shifts and have two hours off. And a lot of times it's five sevens and four nines. But, um, but the fact is they get to choose, do they want three days off or do they want to ski every day and have two days off? Um, you know, it's kind of nice to have that option and being ski in, ski out, they can go into our little locker room, which is yep. our giant boiler room. So everything gets nice and warm and dry awesome. and uh, get changed up and go rip for a couple hours. Yeah, that's huge. And you guys are as like proximal as it gets. I mean, the ski break really is easy. It's right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So then if you just want to speak to some of the things that you're proud of or things that you feel like you've done really well over the last 10 years, even if it's kind of changed over that time, um, but things that you and Lindsay have really implemented that you're like, dang, you know what? We're proud of the work we've done. The one thing I look at and in year one, we were able to pay off the loan that we got to start the business. So that was awesome. Definitely had some rough snow years around, you know, year two, three and four. But we still were able to um, kind of 
not go into the negatives. So that's that was a good thing. We I lived a lot cheaper back then with before kids and all that stuff, no big mortgages or anything. So you know it was easier to do so. But uh, one of the biggest things, uh, which I had you know huge help. This is so I uh, my sister came on board. I think it was so this will be her sixth season with us. Second year that we did this was her first year on board. We had a, a state fair booth and it sounds really weird, but we would take this old gear and go up to the Palmer State Fair and there's like two to 300,000 people go through that state fair. And so we're this new business and someone had told me from down in the in the States, one of our reps was like, oh yeah, this ski shop goes and makes footbeds at the state fair. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Why would you go to the state fair to do ski stuff? And sure enough, I like called and inquired and got a booth going. And I think there was someone up here that gave me a nudge on it too, but I set it up in mid August and, you know, I was full on carny the first year where like I would find a lake and go bathe in it after four days. I slept on the fair booth floor. Like it was totally not what I envisioned my <laughs> life being once I started a business. Right. But you do what you can. Right. And we had some bad years of snow. So we had some leftover inventory. So not only were we able to get rid of this inventory, we made so many new customers from around the state because the state fair is where everyone in the state goes to, you know, a lot of people enjoy traveling to it, to go to it. I'd never even been to the state fair. I grew up in Alaska my whole life. I'd never been to the Palmer state fair. And so the first year I was there, I was, you know, pretty much looking like a carny and selling skis and boots. And it was, it was hilarious, hilarious, but very, very uh, beneficial for the business. And obviously, like those, some of those people still come in today and, um, and I recognize them from the fair. And then we'd have people that would only come to our fair booth. They would never come to Girdwood, but every year they would come as repeat business and you'd get to know them that way. And they would just come to our fair booth and buy a whole thing for their family, a whole kit. So um, that is something I'm proud of. I put a lot of hard work into the fair and a lot of time and we don't do it anymore after COVID. The fair stopped for a year and we realized that we just didn't have the the manpower to go and do it anymore. I had kids. You can't really bum that lifestyle as much when you're, <laughs> yeah. when you got kids and, uh, and a lot of people at the fair have kids, but they, they figure it out and that's what they want to be doing. And this is, it's, uh, it's also kind of right in the meat of the beginning of hunting season. So it was always tough for me to, to make that happen. So thankfully we have a bigger store now we can get rid of inventory differently, but the fair is something I'm proud of, even though it's a weird thing. It's, it definitely helped business a lot. Yeah, that's so. really unique. And I mean, just clever too, especially like trying to gain that customer traction early on and widen like who knows about Powder Hound. And um, also, mm -hmm. I think a big one for a lot of retailers, especially in those early days is like, how do you get rid of old inventory? And so having that as an outlet is cool. Plus, you're able to like, yeah, get more people involved. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm proud of my sister for coming on and just showing how hard she can work and do that stuff and she uh she certainly with the starting with the fair it was like the first thing she did with the business it was like come on okay we're working the fair and then <laughs> non-stop since then so she uh yeah she's crushed it so um but you know we we've been very lucky over the years to have some really good employees that work really hard and and uh and my wife being one she is now not in the store every day like she used to be she um She's got two little ones at home now, so um, she helps out with marketing and, and stuff from home and in the store when she can. But yeah. So. Yeah. You guys are all crushing it. That's awesome. And uh, 
congrats to you and Lindsay too. I know you just had a baby. So that's probably adding a little to the mix. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's a lot easier with number two than it was with number one, even though we had number one right at the like the day the world shut down with COVID and March 17, 2020. And uh, so I got to stay home for like 30 days because I can't bring in some germs. You know what I mean? Uh, Not knowing what it was out there in the world. And uh, and I thought that was great. But man, it sure is nice to go to work when you (laughs) got little ones crying at home. Be like, I'm going to just step out for a few hours and go uh, go get some things done. So it's yeah. great. That's yeah. some wild timing for some stay at home parenting. I mean, I guess it worked yeah. out in your favor. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, I know you've mentioned several times now as far as like what you guys are doing season to season and you know how there's kind of, you're kind of keeping busy year round at this point. Um, I'm just curious what it's looked like for you to kind of evolve into this year round business and what like the integration of bikes has looked like and kind of becoming this like full year-round staple shop in the Girdwood area. What does that look like for you guys? Well, there's a great shop called Backcountry Bike and Ski up in Palmer. They do mostly Nordic stuff. And so we're the only Alpine and bike shop in South Central. And so um, I always thought, as most people probably do, oh, just ski and bike, it just goes together. You know, it's just one business. You just change a little bit in the summertime and it's two complete different businesses. So, um, that is something to always juggle. Like right now, yesterday I went in, um, and did some bike service work. Meanwhile, we have like skis, customer skis leaned up everywhere with boots all over trying to get their service done. And it's like, all right, what do you, you know, what do you prioritize? You got to juggle it all together in the summer. Obviously it's just bikes. We have a little bit of skis coming in, but uh, but now it's like, okay, fat tire changeovers and full tunes on summer bikes and all stuff like that, that um trying to, trying to juggle it, which is always fun, but it adds to a lot more work in the off season than it could. So, yeah. that's it. <laughs> and then the off season, or I guess the shoulder seasons become like the peak of both. It's like, oh, and now we're having to perform you know, bike mechanic service and maybe ski service and people are coming in with both things at all times and you kind of have to be able to accommodate that i guess like space wise that can be a little bit tricky like you guys i imagine you kind of change over the entire floor from like season to season yep yeah and thankfully the resort's been uh opening through middle of may or third week of may which is awesome unless you want to switch it over to bike stuff and start tuning bikes (laughs) because because now we got like ski rentals going on at the same time as like high-end bike stuff and regular bike service and whatever else. It's like, huh, all right, we're going to figure this one out and make it happen. The nice thing is it's business and we we like business, but it certainly makes for pretty much no shoulder season. Um, You want, we might have a little slower months, but that's also when people need to leave and take a little time off. So um, whoever is here stays just as busy. Yeah, fair enough. And do you have a lot of year round staff then? We've got it. It kind of shifts, but, you know, usually between three to five year round and then higher up seasonally between that. We'll hire some more kids in the summertime for bike washers and mm-hmm. um, helping out with rentals and stuff like that. And in the winter, you know, we get more ski techs and whatnot. And then real quick, I know you mentioned it a couple of times, uh, your season lease program, your rental program. Can you just kind of highlight like what those programs look like for you guys? And um, I guess what they probably mean as far as people getting into the sport in your community as well? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we 
being especially being scheduled, we have 30 minute appointments and there are days where we've got every 30 minutes, we have a new family coming in to get set up. And then we also have walk-ins that we're able to help out. We use a, a system called Rezo, which we've had really good luck with lately. Um, like any rental system, it makes things, you know, there's certain ups and downs, but uh, we've been loving it. And, um, but it makes it, my point of bringing that up is it makes the whole experience a lot smoother for the customer. They come in, um, they don't need to buy $500 in gear for their two-year-old to go skiing. Um, our program is 175 bucks for the season. You get skis, boots, bindings. Um, poles are optional if you want them. You can you can have them, but um, you know it gets them skiing on nice gear for the whole season. Then they bring it back at the end of the season, or if they need to swap around during the season, we can do that as long as we have inventory for it. But uh, yeah, it's it's a great way. Like if people don't have kids, they can hand stuff down to, or say their kids are too far apart, then uh, might as well just rent for the season and uh until they get to be you know 12 13 years old then they can buy their entry level you know get into the sport a little bit differently but uh, it's been great for us we've got i don't know probably around 400 400 season lease setups and uh, they usually all go out every every season so we're usually ordering more mid-season if we can yeah that's incredible and i think for someone who started in a shop that had a really robust season lease program, just understanding like how invaluable that is to the sport and to the like continuation of skiing, basically, you know, it makes such a huge difference for families. And now, of course, you just mentioned the Rezo system. And I guess for people who haven't worked in a rental shop, they might not be able to understand like how nice that is. But of course, when you're doing for that type of volume and you're not, um, you know, you don't have a paperless system. You're using like paper and you're writing every little detail down and all of that. Uh, you know, it doesn't make it quite as smooth or as easy. And so it's nice that there's been some like technological advancements where you can be like, okay, we're doing this type of volume, but it's not as hard as it used to be. Yes. Yeah. Imagine going through the paperwork of, I mean, I, I know some shops have like, I know one shop's got 10,000 season <laughs> leases. Could you imagine? And that used to be on paper. <laughs> yeah. Stacks and stacks of paper. And then of course, for like liability, you have to hold on to the paper for a long time. Yeah. And it's oh like, oh, gosh. that's crazy. Yes. So it thank goodness. Nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it's really cool. You guys do that. And uh, yeah, even for like the kiddos who maybe change a boot size within a season, it's like, oh, it's not the end of the world. Exactly. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, it's good. Nice. Well, I guess uh, we'll just kind of talk about a couple industry trends that you have like personal feelings about. So I'm curious to hear you talk about the biggest industry trend that you're really glad went away over the last 10 years. Biggest industry trend. Well, I like, uh, Oh, thank God that's over. <laughs> oh man. There's a bunch, but I, you know, some of them are kind of biased on things as far as gear goes. So I'm not going to, not going to touch on the gear side too much. Um, one thing that I'm really excited about is the new snow show. And I'm glad that everything, I guess we could say this, I'm glad that, um, you know, for a year, it was like everything was in Denver. We had like camping gear and ski gear and all the, it was outdoor retailer, which is a great show, but it was a lot to deal with, uh, with when you're just focusing on ski stuff. Right. So, um, I'm really glad that is now in Salt Lake with, uh, winter sports market. That has been, uh, last year was the first year of that and just so much more relaxing trying to get anything done um, and get all your all your skis picked out for the following season. Uh, that was good. I mean, we can go into funny 
funny gear trends that uh, are going away, which, you know, you had mentioned one earlier, like the uh, plated touring binding, which is really nice that that's going away. But, um, but you know, it still exists and it still serves a purpose for what it is. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that super fat skis are kind of out of the trend uh, because it's going to leave some long-term damage on knees if people keep skiing them. Yeah. And so um, now seeing like the 110 being a regular wide ski, that's great. You know, we don't need 120, 130 on the wall. Totally. Um, first of all, it takes up a lot of space on the wall. Yeah. You're like, these don't fit <laughs> yeah. in the ski rocks. What am I yeah, supposed exactly. to do? But, yeah. uh, and they had their time, right? I had a 130. Uh, it was a profit 130 from line. And I had some of the best days of skiing on that thing. But if you think about it compared to the newer technology, it's like, oh my gosh. It's so much more fun to be on a 110 that can do all the same stuff. Right. And if you're hearing that from Eric up in Alaska, then you know it's probably true everywhere else too. We definitely don't need them down here in Colorado. Yep. But yeah, I mean, they got kind of silly for a while there. It was like, wow, that's, I think we've maxed out ski width and yep. the, I, uh, the rocker profile. With, yeah. I was touring Paul Ford one day and, uh, and he had the one, what is the Lotus? The biggest DPS, the spoon. Oh, yeah. it one, he loves 138 underfoot. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it, we both had the same size, same boot with a Dinafit radical bindings on them. And, uh, and I had a 105 underfoot. Well, my binding broke that day, which those radicals have some issues with the heels, but Dinafit's awesome about taking care of every, every customer that has an issue. And so we, uh, he was going down and I had another lap in me. And I was like, hey, mind if I try those 138s? And the snow went from really deep and nice within one run to super heavy. And I got on those things and just killed myself <laughs> touring on those. You couldn't even stay in any sort of track. And then skiing down, it got all manky and heavy. And I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he certainly skied them a lot better than I did. Yeah. But Prop, uh, props it, to you, Paul, but not everyone wants something yeah, that wide. 40 I guess. underfoot. <laughs> yeah. If it doesn't fit in the skin track, I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely some fat, very rocker skis for a while, but it's kind of yeah, mellowed out. It's there. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess just looking at like the general industry, and it can be just a couple sort of gear trends or kind of minor trends, but certain things that you're most excited about right now, um, whether it's specific for this season or just in general, as you see some stuff starting to change, what are the industry trends that get you excited? Uh, well, as far as soft goods go, it's nice to see a lot of companies using such breathable and waterproof gear. Um, that is something that has been hard to explain to customers for a long time that, oh, it can be this thin and light and also fully waterproof. And uh, and so, you know, it's really nice seeing that event and other type of materials like that that come along. You're like, wow, it's actually like I can walk uphill in it in a dumping storm or whatever, and then ski all day in it. And it's not, you know, it's breathing more than anything else. And it also is fully, you know, waterproof or 20 K 30 K waterproof. So, um, that as far as soft goods go, it's, it's amazing where those have gone. Um, and then hard goods, uh, there's a new binding called the Tyrolia protector. And that is the only binding, uh, as far as I've been told that can actually say that it protects your knees on paper and so um, we all know like the the look pivot uh is supposed to be a little bit better for your knees because you have vertical lateral release heel and toe 
Uh, well, this protector is a totally different motion and, uh, and actually slides sideways on the, the heel piece. Um, we just got them in, so we're kind of new to selling them. Um, spent a tiny bit of time on one and, uh, I don't know. It's really cool. I think it's a, a great option and a good way to see bindings moving to where hopefully less hospital visits have to be made and keep people skiing. One of the biggest things we hear from people is, uh, oh no, I don't ski anymore. I, you know, I blew my knee out in the nineties and it's like, well, that shouldn't stop you. I know people that have like four knee surgeries and still ski. But then you, you just get a sound. knee replacement eventually. And then exactly. You just keep going. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Knees, hips, all of it can be replaced. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that, that is a good, good uh, addition to the industry. Yeah. And, uh, and ski stuff, as far as skis go, um, you know, skins are getting better and better for backcountry. Um, lightweight, thinner glue or glueless skins that, uh, that are easy to use and low maintenance. But, um, you know, the skis themselves, they're making different patterns of metal in them so that it's a real approachable flex, but still has a sheet of metal where you can drive through the kind of cruddy snow that we have up here. It's not so much by you guys where you get all that light, fluffy stuff. But Yeah, we don't here, get the nice. cred yeah. <laughs> as often, but we do uh -huh. ski cred. No, yeah. totally. I think all of, those, uh, all of those trends are pretty intriguing. And I think, I mean, if you had to name one sort of facet of the industry that you think could improve the most and still has like the most room to be improved would you say it's bindings it's or, a tough one yeah. yeah i mean it's so hard because there's a lot of a lot of engineering behind that and there's already a lot of pretty sophisticated engineering that goes into bindings i think i think tech tech stuff um which is really tough because it's come such a long ways but if you could i don't know make you know, a binding like the shift, something that is as safe as the shift, way lighter to where it could go on a more more of an uphill only ski. But again, I'm sure there are people trying every day to do stuff like this and um, it'll get there eventually. But um, it's pretty amazing where it already is. So we're grateful to have all the stuff we do. Yeah, no doubt. It's come a long ways. Mm hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, always room for improvement. I'm sure there's lots of things going on behind the scenes that we don't even know about yet. I will say on bikes, that's an easy one for me to answer. Oh yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, a rear derailleur. That's the <laughs> dumbest thing. Dumbest thing. Like the way that it sticks out and get, it's so. Yeah, I mean, you get an XX1 derailleur and you're spending you know four or five hundred bucks on an XX1 addition to your bike, and then or more. I mean, it's thousands on that, and uh, then all of a sudden you tip your bike over or someone puts it in the back of their truck the wrong way and boom, it's bent. And you're like, huh, that's weird. Yeah. Could it be so, more vulnerable? <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> like, come on. Yeah, no, that's a good a one. Joke. Yeah. Totally. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Food for thought. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And lastly, we just want to bring in an important facet to the industry that we do not want to forget. And that is snowboarding. So I'm really curious. I feel like there's been some kind of ebbs and flows to the snowboarding world over the last 10 years. And so I'm just curious to hear. I know you are a snowboarder maybe half the time. And I'm kind of curious to hear how you kind of have seen snowboarding change, evolve, maybe grow um, in the last 10 years. Well, what we see in the store, which is really cool last couple of years, we're seeing a lot of people moving back and forth between skiing and snowboarding, whether they've, they've always been a snowboarder and want to get into skiing because they're teaching their kids or they want to go ski touring and it's easier some of the time on some ski touring gear than splitboarding, or other way around. People are skiers that maybe tried snowboarding when they were younger and want to get back into it. 
um, it's been awesome to see, especially, you know, the locals that are doing it a lot of, of either sport, they're the ones that you're seeing really wanting to try because it's like, hey, you know what? Things get stale after a while. You stop progressing. Why as well change it up a little bit? Um, the increase of snow, we call them snow machines, but snowmobiles done by you guys, that access in the backcountry has really um, maybe lent its hand a, a little bit more snowboarding because the boots are a little easier to ride in. Um, also, uh, no boarding that's been really popular and getting on those, those type of fun toys without having bindings on them is just a fun accessory to throw on the sled when you go out. But yeah, it's been, it's been really cool. The new snowboard boots are, uh, better fitting than ever, just like the ski industry, everything evolves. And, um, I mean, I, I've been on the same Solomon super eight for like three years, four years, which is longer than I usually keep gear. And I, I'm like, why would I ever get rid of this thing? It's so fun. And so some of the boards you can, I raced town league on it last year, but then I take it on the sled in the backcountry, And it's like, you can do so much with some of these newer built boards, um, where you can carve around, you can ride full pow. It's just such a fun stick to be on. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you had your stiffer, more camber boards, and then you had your soft power boards. And now things have totally evolved, which is nice. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm just biased or have my own perspective, but it seems like it doesn't, people don't really care if you snowboard or ski anymore. It's just like, if you're out there, that's all that matters. So kind of, there was a little bit of weird division for a second, but I don't feel like I see that as much anymore. No, I think maybe a couple of resorts are hanging on to it still, but uh, other than that, it's just like, who cares, you know? Um, I think it's really beneficial for people to learn how to snowboard that are just skiers because you learn to read the mountain differently and you learn to predict how a snowboarder might react if you're going by them because they're totally different patterns on the mountain. And that's most injuries we see are snowboarders and skiers colliding. And so if you can kind of envision how they're going to move, then you you can stay away from the other, the other person. So, yeah, that's fair. And uh, I guess, how would you kind of track some of the trends as far as, or like improvements as far as like split boarding goes? And are you seeing like hard boots up there or not really? I mean, is it kind of... We do. It seems like it's it's definitely a, a niche. Um, it's not, you don't see too much of it, but we do. Um, we don't stock it. So maybe we would sell more if we stocked it, but we, uh, we stock split boards. We just don't... Um, we don't stock the hard boot setups, but we do special order some Dinafit TLTs for them and do a lot of boot work on them. Uh, but that's a very few, few amount of people that are wanting that style. Um, although it might grow a little bit, it's it's there's so much involved in it that it's not. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a, applying to the masses as much as just grabbing a splitboard binding and a board and and using your regular boots. Cool. Well, it's, yeah, it's good to think about the snowboarding trends as well and kind of also encourage people to, like you said, hop on a snowboard, which uh, we might be doing as a blister team this year in one of our really? blister crash course videos because nice. depending on different levels of ratings and reviews we get for this very podcast, we, uh, you know, do these crash course videos where we hop on different gear. And so last year we did the snowblade one. <laughs> and, nice. and then now this uh, well yeah. i wasn't a part of it i was actually in yeah. class that day so i missed it but nice. the video is on youtube everyone should check it out it's pretty entertaining and if you like that then there's more to come via a snowboarding video i think awesome. that's the I next think one you guys so. should all jump on some snowboards <laughs> yeah well stay yeah. tuned i think it's <laughs> gonna happen whether we like it or not 
Yeah, Good. that's awesome. It's been great talking through some of these trends with you. It's really cool to see all that you guys have done in 10 years. Um, I know that you're one of the, my favorite shops. And every time I'm up in Girdwood, it's a spot I have to stop by. I hope to actually be up there this spring. So hope to get some more Alaska skiing in me. We'll see how that goes. But is there anything looking ahead to this upcoming season that you just want to highlight or maybe let people know or just anything you want to leave on? Well, just a reminder to those who know and for those who don't, we do in the month of December, uh, if you spend $1,000 or more in one transaction starting December 1st, uh, we, leave, we, we give you a little gift to leave the store with. And we do this every year. And if you can bring three different years of those gifts by, you can pick any ski off the wall. And we sell Kessleys and Stokelys. And so it ends up being, you can, you can pick a pretty pricey ski if you wanted to. Still recommend picking the right ski for you, but, um, but it, it's a pretty cool gig. So if you bring us, you don't have to, if, if your buddy has one, you can borrow his, or I mean, you can use his turn it in and uh, give him a couple hundred bucks for it or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, um, December 1st is when that starts and it, it usually runs out the second or third week of December. So don't wait too long. There you have it. I mean, that's pretty good. That's a good, uh, good program you guys got going. So if you guys are, if anyone's in the Girdwood area, definitely keep that in mind. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks so much, Eric. It was great talking to you. As always, I know we have several other episodes. If people want to hear more um, on Gear 30 from you, there's been several over the last few years, but we appreciate all that you guys do. And so thanks so much for taking the time today, waking up early. I know it's super early up in Alaska, um, but thanks for taking the time and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Kara. Always a joy to be on the show. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. All right, everybody. Well, there you have it. I really hope that I can get up to Girdwood this spring and say hey to the folks at Powderhound. Thanks so much to Eric and everyone at Powderhound for being an awesome shop and for taking the time to have this conversation. That then brings me to this week's edition of What I Am Celebrating, and it is accompanied by a nice cup of hot tea. This week, I am celebrating the fact that I will probably be hopping on skis, hopefully in the next couple of days, just to check out the coverage and conditions here in the Gunnison Valley, but also to slip into my boots and see how they're feeling ahead of an upcoming ski trip. I am really looking forward to a whole lot more time on skis very soon. Thanks so much to all of you for tuning in. And thanks, of course, to Justin Bob for producing this episode. Please take a moment to check out all of our other podcasts. And keep in mind, there is a new episode coming at you every single day of the week on the Blister Podcast Network. If you are enjoying these conversations, please leave a rating or review. We will talk to you again real soon. Cheers. Cheers.